What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA podcast. Just going to be a solo podcast this week. Unfortunately, Ozzy was pretty busy this week, and we just couldn't find a time uh, to record. And I wanted to get this episode out. It's pretty late in the week already, Thursday night. The weigh-ins will be tomorrow morning. And we got 13 fights on UFC 282 pay-per-view going down this weekend. Of course, this pay-per-view was supposed to be headlined by Glover Teixeira versus Yuri Prochaska. Uh, Yuri suffered a bad injury, forfeited his belt, and now it's a vacant light heavyweight championship fight between Jan Blachowicz and Magomed Ankalaev, an unexpected turn of events. And um, definitely not the greatest name value pay-per-view card uh, top to bottom, and just some of the matchups in general. I just don't think this is a very pay-per-view-esque card. Of course, the pay-per-view debut of Patty Pimblett, that'll be a big deal. And there's some good matchups for the hardcore fans like Mitchell versus Taporia, uh, DDP versus Darren Till. Um, but still, definitely not the typical blockbuster pay-per-view at the end of the year that the UFC typically likes to do. Um, but still, some decent fights, decent card overall. I think the betting sides are uh, are interesting, of course, as always. And we'll, we'll talk about them in one second here. Just a quick recap of last week. Um, did lose on track bets, minus 1.7 units on official track bets. Uh, I think Ozzy did well, though. Um, I'll look that up right now. I know our best bet parlay did win because it turned into a best bet straight bet uh, because the uh, the rebos side got canceled. Um, Ozzy lost 1.1 unit as well. And uh, the best bet parlay last week ended up just being Phil Rowe money line for me as my pick uh, because Hebos fell through, as I just said. So that, that bet won. I guess we'll count that as a win for our best bet parlay. Um, and it's about enough recap of last week. Let's see. Don't really need to go over the bets too much. Um, was, uh, I'd say a pretty decent read of, uh, decent week of reads overall. Uh, the live bets are great as always. If you guys aren't aware, I do uh, live betting spaces with my man, narco cop on every UFC card. So we're broadcasting, talking about the live bets as they happen, you know, which books have the best lines and anybody can join. So you can join and just listen, or you can join and request to speak and come up and, uh, you know, chat about the fights. And it's just a great resource. You know, we're talking about, you know, what is the, the value side in the live bets, which book has the best prices, and we consistently hit pretty good lines there and pick winners uh, mid-fight, and that tends to be, you know, sometimes easier than picking the pre-fight bet. When you have the fight already in front of you, you've seen it play out a little bit, and you can get some, uh, some live bets in there, a lot of off-market stuff. I mean, there are very often the fight is 1-1 going into round three and for some reason one guy is a plus 200 underdog that exact scenario happened in the main event last weekend Stephen Wonderboy Thompson was already starting to take over well in a round two and round two ended and he was still plus 180 so just an easy live bet to make there on Wonderboy as he took over in that great main event from last week so make sure you're joining the spaces on Twitter uh, we go live for the entire card on Twitter so Enough about that, enough about last week. Let's get into the first fight on this card. We have 13 fights top to bottom. First prelim, Bantamweight division. couple of guys making their UFC debuts. Cameron Simon taking on Steven Koslo. And the odds for this one, we have Simon minus 400, Koslo plus 300. Not really sure if I'm saying these last names right. Sorry, gentlemen. 
I know you're big fans of the podcast, but two guys making their UFC debuts, both 6-0, and both fairly inexperienced, uh, very inexperienced on Stephen Coslow's side, who has you know, never fought in the Contender Series, just really very little relevant tape at, at all of this guy. He seems to be a 10th pennant jujitsu grappler. All of his wins come by round one sub. Literally every single win is by round one sub. And he's never been out of round one. So what do we even make of this fight? There's really not much information. Simon, we saw him win a fight on Contender Series, a competitive fight against Kim where he knocked him out late in the round. You got to think that Simon uh, is going to have the uh, the better striking here, probably the better cardio as well. But uh, Costello is going to be looking to get the fight on the floor by any means. And I just don't really know enough information about this fight to have a concrete read, but I do know that Simon is out of the question to be betting at minus 400. I mean, we're talking about a regional tier fight or uh, a fight here between two guys that are inexperienced. One guy being an 80% favorite is is very wrong. Um, so just on principle, it's a dog or pass situation. And uh, Koslo, I just mentioned, all, all six of his wins come by round one sub, and his round one sub line is uh, 16 to 1 on FanDuel. So seems like a good stab, a good uh, gamble on this fight. You know, there's definitely no way to intelligently bet this fight. So do not bet anything of substance here and um, just hope the underdog pulls off the victory. Um, that's going to be enough about that fight. Next fight's in the flyweight division. Daniel De Silva, a.k.a. Lacerda, the man of many names, taking on Vincius Salvador. Got a Brazil versus Brazil matchup here. The odds, Salvador minus 250, De Silva plus 210. So I, I actually jumped in on Salvador here already, minus 190, and I've been a very vocal advocate, uh, critic of Daniel Leco da Silva, bet against him in all three fights. We took um, Jeff Molina, we took uh, Figueredo, and in his last fight, we took Altamirano. Altamirano, a little on the sketchy side, uh, but he still did, uh, you know, just quickly survive that onslaught from Silva and uh, beat him up. You know, De Silva is just a round one or bust finish fighter. Uh, he either will finish you or just gas out really quickly. The guy's got a terrible gas tank. He's not even a good striker. He's not even a good grappler. I mean, I guess he's fairly aggressive, and he does have a small window here to just blitz Salvador and knock him out, but I mean, how much can you really give that round one finish here? If this fight goes past just a few minutes, it should be all Salvador. I think Salvador is the, uh, the more intelligent striker, and that'll show as the fight goes on, so he just has to avoid not getting knocked out early here and i think i'll take over all day i bet him at uh 65 he's already at 70 percent, and he could even go you know higher than that potentially i think where he's at now is getting closer to his true line so not sure i would go crazy on it now and then have the live bets ready for this one you know if the silva comes out strong and has a, a little moment early on here and the odds drop i would be looking to add live on salvador because lacerda is a role player i've given him that that uh, name and once I give the fighter the role player, uh, you know, uh, classification, I have to bet against them on principle for every UFC fight. So I've bet against this guy three times in a row. It's been successful all three. I think Salvador is another good spot and uh, one last chance to bet against Lacerda before he's out of the UFC forever. So that's gonna move us along to the featherweight division. Eric Silva taking on TJ Brown. Eric Silva fresh off the contender series. Closely lined fight here. Uh, Silva minus 119. 
Brown minus 101 on Bet Online. Some books have it pick them. Definitely some two way action coming in on here. Um, so Silva, you know, seems like just a very uh, front loaded grappler to me. You know, most of his opponents, he's taking them down and submitting them. Most of his regional opponents are just absolutely awful fighters. His fighter on the Contender Series was a kickboxer. You know, making a, a half ass transition to uh to mma and he took him down and pounded him out right away so all of eric silva's wins are just low level wins over you know bum grapplers to be honest like these guys are just atrocious at grappling in this lux fight league um so i mean it's very it's it's very suspicious matchup for for silva honestly because um he's uh, that wasn't the quite right word I'm looking for. Uh, he's just got a suspicious record, right? Just like the guy in the first fight. You know, if all your opponents are just bums and you're submitting them right away, clearly not getting good matchmaking, clearly, uh, you know, anything could happen in his UFC career because his career has been so... Um, so void of any adversity so far and we have no idea how he's going to battle back from that adversity so tj brown definitely not the smartest guy but he is you know a decently well-rounded fighter everywhere uh didn't wrestle officially in college or anything like that but definitely has a wrestling style likes to take opponents down and grind them out got fairly good cardio historically as well uh you know a decent striker probably a little bit below average but i just don't see anything from silva on the feet that's going to give brown trouble you know silva striking seems not very non-violent and then I just think in a grappling fight, TJ Brown has been at this level for a lot longer. He's been in the UFC for several fights. Uh, he's training with a lot more reputable guys. And I just don't think Eric Silva's grappling is going to be anything new to him. So uh, Brown might get taken down, might get put in some bad positions. I expect him to survive. I expect him to maybe reverse positions. And I expect him to have the better cardio. So I'm taking the more proven, the more uh, experienced fighter in TJ Brown here. And I honestly think he could you know, just take over this fight and, and drown Silva late with Silva never being past uh, the second round. I mean, he was into the second round uh, one time in the past few years. Uh, but I'm always looking to bet against guys like Silva who are facing no adversity in their early career, and they're taking a huge step up here in uh, downtown TJ Brown. So Brown's, for, Brown's good for a unit, in my opinion. The next fight is also going to be in the featherweight division. Billy Quarantillo, Alexander Hernandez. Hernandez moving down to 145 here. Probably not a good move for him. Quarantillo, minus 170. Hernandez, plus 145. Uh, I think this line... Uh, is about right. I'm thinking he could be even more of a favorite for Quarantillo here um, because this guy is a fast starter. He's got great cardio, great output. He can go hard for the full 15 minutes. Um, he doesn't have the best takedown defense. I think he might be at risk for getting taken down here. I just don't see him getting controlled for long stretches. Hernandez doesn't have that much of a legit top game. But I think that Hernandez is going to be looking to wrestle here because uh, Quarantillo is a skilled striker and he just puts up such a high output. He's very durable as well. You know, that war with Shane Burgos uh, a year or so ago just proved that he can, you know, go a hard 15 minutes with pretty much any guy at the weight class. He had a really good showing for himself in that fight. And um, yeah, I mean, I would have the finger on the trigger for the live bet here as well with Quarantillo just being such a nonstop pace fighter. Hernandez slowing down historically at 155. Cut a lot of weight to get to 155. Now he's going all the way down to 45. So I just think this weight cut's going to be bad for him. No idea how the chin is going to look. I expect the cardio to look uh, bad as it has historically. And I think Quarantillo is probably going to drown him out late here. Uh, 
he should be good as a pre-fight bet, but as I mentioned, be very uh, on the lookout for the live bet here on Quarantillo. Maybe even those late Quarantillo round props, which are round two plus 750, round three plus 1100. I think those are both good because uh, I think that uh, he really could put it on Hernandez here. And Hernandez wilts. You know, he once once he, he faces a little of adversity in the fight, he doesn't do a good job uh, battling back. And after that extra weight cut, it's probably going to be even more difficult for him. So... I'm expecting a late finish there from Billy Q, and I'll probably be betting those late round props. Um, we're moving up for the next fight up to the middleweight division, Chris Curtis versus Joaquin Buckley. And the line for this one, uh, Buckley minus 163, Curtis plus 143. Uh, this line actually was a pick for a while, and uh, definitely the market liking Buckley here. And I sort of see why. Initially, I was thinking Curtis is probably going to be the side, but you know, this guy, he only boxes. He only throws punches he doesn't pressure he doesn't kick he doesn't offensively grapple and as we saw in his last fight hermanson circled around used his length used his jab his kicks and just didn't initiate the pocket boxing of chris curtis and chris curtis was completely lost he had absolutely no idea what to do when his opponents weren't just willingly engaging with him in his striking range he doesn't know how to dictate the fight on his own terms so if Buckley, uh, you know, uses that same style, you know, circling, moving in and out, throwing kicks, Buckley does throw a lot of kicks. He doesn't have the same length as Jack, though. He's got those short arms. So I think that he will initiate, you know, some pocket exchanges more than Jack did. So I can see um, some of these exchanges being close. And I think Curtis, you know, probably is the better pocket boxer. The guy's got really good instincts in the boxing range, digs to the body really well. Buckley kind of slows down in some of his fights as well. The Razak uh, fight as um, recently, everyone expected Razak to be the one gassing out in that fight, but it was actually Buckley, the one who gassed and lost that last round. So if the body work gets going for Buckley or uh, for Curtis here, look for Buckley to start slowing down. That's really the the one thing I'm looking for in this fight is I'm not going to be betting a pre-fight, but if Curtis is having success with the the body punching mid-fight, I'm going to be looking to live bet him because that that body work does real good uh, investments late in the fight so for Curtis. But um, where the line is at now pre-fight, I think it's pretty accurate actually. So not seeing anything of value there. Um, haven't looked much at the props either for this one, but uh, maybe Buckley decision. I think at plus three eighty. I mean, I think that's good. I mean, it's almost the same as Curtis's line, and with Curtis's work rate being so low, I think that Buckley decision line is good at three eighty. Um, so yeah, again, just reiterating on that. I just think that the like the exchanges are going to be limited here. Buckley is not going to want to try to trade in the pocket. He's going to kick and he's going to disengage. He's going to circle a lot. He's going to be in the big cage here. So he's going to have more room to work. And I think that could be really good for the decision. So uh, maybe FICO's decision plus 178 for some action and then throw some extra on Buckley by decision plus 380. We're going to stay in the middleweight division for the next fight. And that is going to be Edmund Shabazian taking on Dolce Lungambula. Some interesting names between these gentlemen here. Shabazian versus Lungambula. Edmund is the favorite, minus 290. Dolce Cat, plus 245, as Ozzy likes to call him. Um, so this line is pretty simple from a money line perspective. Backing Edmund Shabazian at minus 300 is batshit crazy. I don't know anybody out there that's doing that. I don't know anybody reputable that would ever put their money on on Edmund Shabazian near that price. And, you know, Dolce, he'll probably lose the fight, I guess. But I, I also expect him to make it kind of close everywhere. You know, he's uh, 
he's best at wrestling. I think these these wrestling exchanges, the clinch, the grinding against the cage will be close here. I guess Edmund is the better striker at distance, but Dolce is athletic. He's explosive. He knows how to keep it close at times with just exploding now and then using his athleticism. So I don't see a whole lot of skill behind Lungambola, but Shabazian also kind of a bit of a head case, uh, not really you know fulfilling his talent. I think he I think he did finally leave camps from Edmund Tarverdian. He finally got out of. Uh, um, the Armenian camp, I forget the name, GC something. But uh, that's a good sign for his career that he got out of there. Um, you know, I expect Edmund will win, um, but I expect him also not to cover that price tag while we're at it. So um, the lines for this one, man, I, I think Shabazian sub, 7-1 is not bad. I mean, his KO line just stinks, man. Plus 110, plus 120. There's no value on, on that at all. Um, I think people are just seeing Lungambula get knocked out a few times and they think Edmund's going to do it as well. I don't think so, man. I don't I don't know. I don't really know what we're going to see here from Edmund. It's been a long time since we've seen him in the cage, right? And he's gotten absolutely demolished in his past two fights. Um, Hermanson and Imovolve just put an absolute thrashing on him in the later rounds. So who knows? This guy might be done, honestly. This guy might be, uh, you know, wrapping up his career at the young age of, you know, 25, 26, where he's at already. Um, but yeah, I, I guess a small bet on Dolce is warranted, but don't go crazy. Um, next fight is going to be... In the heavyweight division, Jarzina Rosenstrike versus Chris Dawkins. Um, and this fight is going to be Rosenstrike minus 170, Dawkins plus 145. You know, both guys got some Philly roots here. Um, Dawkins obviously training and living in Philadelphia. And Rosenstrike, I don't know if you guys know this, but he trains in Aruba. And uh, the jiu-jitsu gym where I got my blue belt from, Balance Studios, um, uh, the the gym that Rosenstrike trains in is like an affiliate gym or some shit, like down in uh, Aruba. So clearly he's very tuned into the Philadelphia scene. Uh, but man, this fight sucks. The, both these guys just suck. I hate watching them fight. I'm glad they put them on the prelims. Uh, and I'm glad they didn't put them in a main event because honestly, it seems very UFC-esque to put these two guys in a main event. Um, but you know, both these guys, I feel like they don't really they don't really land much. But when they do land, they land hard. So I feel like this fight could be a whole lot of nothing going on, them feeling each other out, and then one guy has a big flurry and they get a knockout because. Rosenstrike, man, the way he got knocked out versus Volkov was was bad. I mean, he got hit with one punch. It wasn't particularly well set up. It didn't even look like that hard of a punch, and it stumbled him. He got hit with a few shots, and he, he just didn't look like he fights well when he's rocked. He got rocked, and he just looked like he was out of it right away. And the referee stepped in real quick because Rosenstrike just looked like he, like he wanted out. So that's not good. And it's also not good that Chris Dawkins has been knocked out twice in a row. Uh, I mean, just terrible approach versus Derek Lewis. I mean, he gave that fight away. And then he also just looked bad against Blades. But Blades is really good. Um, and also demolished Rosenstrike in similar fashion. But he, he didn't knock him out, though. Um, but Dawkins just t took two knockouts in a quick span of time. He was coming back from that... Uh, that Lewis knockout way too soon. And it's nice to see that he took, you know, seven, eight months off, but, uh, his brother, 
Kyle Dawkins, you know, got to the UFC, had some initial success, and then he started fighting up in competition, and next thing you know, wasn't having so much success, uh, and we saw that last week, got knocked out, we saw that in the uh, the Martians bets, you know, we had Eric Anders' money line there at plus 195, and he looked like the favorite, and absolutely destroyed Dawkins and knocked him out there, so um, the vibes are bad in the Dawkins camp right now, for sure, brother getting knocked out last week, can't be good for morale, and I just think that, um, Man, I don't know. Both these guys train at small gyms, so I don't want to knock the the Philly gym too much. But I just don't know that if these how good these guys can be training in the small gym that they're at. But Rosenstrike trains at a small gym too. I'm talking about this fight for too damn long. I don't have a bet here. I honestly think Rosenstrike probably wins. I mean, it's it's going to be a striking fight in all likelihood, and he's the more experienced striker. But I really could see either guy knocking him out. It's just, it, Dawkins needs to come out and be aggressive, because when he was aggressive and he was throwing a lot of strikes, he was starting fast, he was knocking guys out. And then he got a little tentative and tried to play the leg kick game against Derek Lewis, and he got knocked out. So... If he can come out and put some uh, some punches on Rosenstrike right away, that's probably the best course of action. Maybe mix in a takedown. Rosenstrike's such a bad grappler. Um, here's a fun little uh, gamble for this fight. Dawkins by sub plus 1,600. Uh, I mean, Rosenstrike is a white belt on the mat, and Dawkins is a black belt. So theoretically, if he gets on top 16-1 for a black belt versus white belt sub, it looks pretty good. But Again, I talked about that fight for an embarrassing amount of time. Sorry, everybody. Last prelim time, the people's main event. I mean, this fight is getting all of the attention this week. And it is 18-year-old Paul Rosas Jr. making his UFC debut. Or excuse me, Raul Rosas Jr. Um, taking on Jay Perrin. The odds for this one, Rosas Jr. minus 230, Perrin plus 195. Uh, I got to take a swig of water before this fight because I got a lot to say here. So, honestly, not joking that this fight is getting a lot of chatter this week, and of course it is. I mean, we have an 18-year-old fighting in the UFC, the youngest fighter in UFC history. This guy fought in the Contender Series as a 17-year-old, and, you know, he picked up the victory. Um, I think... Overall, the takeaway from that fight is that he looked good, but I think that, you know, we also have to, to critique it. Um, I remember watching the fight live, and I was critiquing this guy already, and Ozzy was losing his mind at me, saying how I, you know, shouldn't be shouldn't be critiquing that but guess what when it's time for him to fight in the ufc when uh when he's you know booked as a minus 230 favorite now it's time to be critical um and in that fight rosas jr you know he's got the grappling heavy style definitely doesn't look too comfortable on the feet but doesn't look atrocious on the feet either looks better than chase hooper looked on the feet when he first started and i think in terms of his wrestling his grappling his cardio all of it looked good you know um he definitely made a, a good amount of mistakes on the ground he got too high going for back takes and he fell off uh, back takes two or three times um just got way too aggressive and overzealous in there you know the guy's nerves are probably going crazy adrenaline's going crazy fighting in the contender series about to get in the ufc as an 18 year old you know I, I think he'll probably slow down a little bit um as he gets more experience but as of right now he does have a little spastic energy and he he gets a little overzealous he chases finishes too hard and then he ends up losing position so that's something to look out for man and in that guy he was fighting mando i believe was his name was a certified bum i, I think my man scrap said this earlier an absolute certified bum this guy sucked at fighting and he sucked at grappling and this guy this guy you know paul rosas was making mistakes in there or excuse me raul rosas but 
Mando was making just left and right mistakes. And just, I mean, there were multiple times where Mando ended up on top or had a back take and he had control of Rosas and then he just immediately lost it. So, um, you know, Rosas looks promising, right? He looks good for an 18 year old, but he might also be getting to the UFC too early. You know, the UFC doesn't sign teenagers for a reason. It's because it's going to be, you know, a boy versus man in there in terms of strength. And they're matching him well, though. Getting over to his opponent, Jay Perrin, a decent jack of all trades. I think this guy really is um, decent everywhere. You know, he can hold his own striking, defensive grappling, even offensively grappling. I don't think he's bad. Cardio is pretty solid. I think he's got decent um decent instincts in the middle of a fight you know he came in uh, short notice versus uh, mario bautista and survived the 15 minutes he uh he lost the early rounds versus aori but he did adapt well get into that fight and took over in round three and won round three decisively there um so i think the guy's you know a pretty well-rounded experienced veteran um and it's a really good test for rosas honestly um i think perrin is good enough to you know stuff some takedowns but i also don't think he's i think he is going to get take down, taken down a few times i think he'll get controlled for a bit but i think he'll escape i think he'll get back to his feet he'll get back to distance he'll make it competitive at times he'll do a good job defending and surviving i just don't see him doing enough to build on that defense uh, to win so and i'm talking like he he's gonna spend uh, rounds with a few minutes with uh, with his back to the cage, and he might be taken down, and he'll have moments to take over the rounds. But I just don't think he'll quite do enough to sway the judges. I think Rosas will be relentless with the takedown. He'll constantly have Perrin's back to the cage. He'll constantly be shooting takedowns left and right, and I think the just nonstop grappling onslaught should be enough for Rosas to get the decision victory here. But um, I wouldn't be completely shocked to see Perrin pull off the upset as well. So in the, the money line, it's a clear dogger pass to me. I mean, betting laying the two to one over, over that on, you know, this young guy in his UFC debut, from what we've seen so far, there's no way you can't be doing that. If there's a bet to be made on Rosas, it's not the sub, it's the decision line. Paul Rosas, uh, Raul Rosas by decision, uh, plus 130, plus 140. I mean, he, am I, he didn't finish mando right i mean the mando fight went to the distance am i am i remembering that correctly yes mando fight went the distance so if he didn't submit that bum that bum mando gutierrez i think that uh i think that our boy jay perrin will make it to the decision just fine I think that actually, you know, what I screw that what I said about Perrin or uh, Rosa's decision. It's only plus 140. Take goes the distance at plus 100. I think that's good. I think I'm going to be making that an official bet here soon. Uh, I just think Perrin is good enough to survive. Um, honestly, the, the most common KO here, the most common finish might be a Perrin KO. If he can get some hands on, on Rosas, you know, I think his defense and everything is pretty untested. Perrin, no scorecards, plus 240. That is good. I just think that they're massively overrating, uh, Rosas's sub ability here. You know, um, I mean, Perrin just went, he just went against, um, Mario Bautista, who is a good grappler and has been submitting guys left and right. And he wasn't even close to being submitted by Bautista. And now he's fighting a guy who I think is just getting overhyped in Rosas. And I, I wish Rosas the, the, the best, 
Listen, an 18-year-old in the UFC is a great story. I, uh, you know, it would be cool to see him win. But guys, I'm gonna be skeptical. I'm gonna be critical. We're we're trying to be unbiased here. We're trying to be objective. And one guy is plus 200, and one is minus 230. So of course, I'm gonna be leaning more towards the dog here in Perrin. That's just my style. So don't want to come off like I'm trashing the kid. Um, but uh, you know, definitely uh, far from a finished product at this point. And um, you know, it's very possible that he, you know, suffers a setback right away here against parents. So um, that's enough about the prelims. Got through that in about 25 minutes, 20 minutes. Um, time for the main card. Um, five good matchups here. We're starting things off in the featherweight division. Bryce Mitchell taking on Ilya Teporia. Uh, the odds for this one, I have to pull them up on Bet Online because our good friend, Best Fight Odds, does not have the odds listed as they typically do. I am completely killing time here as I pull off or pull up the uh, the odds for this fight. Mitchell versus Teporia. We're almost there. I'm getting a swig of water. So we have here Ilya Teporia minus 137, Bryce Mitchell plus 117. I have a bet on this fight. I have a bet on Thug Nasty. And that would be Bryce Mitchell here. Um I enjoyed taping this fight. I think it's a it's an interesting fight because from a taping perspective, I think the fight you guys have to watch isn't the most recent fight, not the second most recent, not even the third most recent. You have to go back for Taporia. You have to go back to his fourth most recent fight versus Yusef Salal, a fight that really shows his grappling. And for Bryce Mitchell, you have to go back um again five fights to the Bobby Moffat fight where it's a back and forth competitive grappling fight. Both guys in their most recent fights, I think have had a little bit too one-sided success. Mitchell has been really all one-sided, just complete dominance in his past four. Um, and obviously, Taporia faced a little adversity versus uh, uh, Jai Herbert rocking him on the feet. But that's just a different type of adversity that I think is relevant here. I think um, you know you have to go to look at that Zalal fight to see Taporia's grappling, to see his wrestling, his sub game, his control game. And based on watching both these guys grapple, I think that Mitchell's going to get the better of the grappling exchanges. And that Bobby Moffat fight is really relevant here because Bobby Moffat is a stud wrestler. He's a good overall grappler excuse me and he put uh mitchell in bad spots a lot in that fight he took him down he had him in submission attempts he he took mitchell down in all three rounds he had mitchell down in bad spots all three rounds but mitchell was able to escape he was able to reverse he was able to get his own dominant position so the fact that he fought you know a stud grappler and was able to battle through adversity we what we saw him on bottom we saw him on top we saw him go back and forth and mitchell's cardio is fucking legit man he can go a hard 15 minutes at this pace not quite as sold on uh, Taporia's cardio. Um, he did take the there's a law fight on short notice. People will say he had the flu or some staff or some shit that like people always are saying some narrative about that fight that he was sick going into that fight. That's why he gassed out in round three. Well, he did gas in that fight. Um, now you can make all the excuses you want about why he guessed. The only footage we have of Taporia in round three is that fight against Yusef Zalal. Never been in round three outside of that fight. So the only data we have on him in round three is him gassing and getting you know lit up by strikes versus Zalal. That might not be the end-all be-all, but the only footage we have is him 
slowing down and getting gassing out in round three. So that leads me to believe that Mitchell, more proven cardio wise, I think the more reliable cardio fighter here. And if this fight gets into the second half of the fight, gets into round three, I think you have to favor Mitchell based on that. Now, getting down to the striking between these two, I think that Tuporia is uh, clearly the more skilled and dangerous striker of the two. Mitchell, uh, I think, does well striking. He, he knows his limits. He knows he's a grappler, and he uses his striking in a very effective way. He pressures you. He disguises uh, some strikes, and then he shoots his takedown, and he does a really good job blending in uh, his striking with the pressure and the takedowns. I think, I think it's really impressive how he does that, and a lot of grapplers struggle to do that. They're great grapplers. They're great when they get on top, but they just can't seem to string together their takedowns. And Bryce Mitchell does a good job of doing that. So I think these guys will tangle up on the floor. I think I don't think that Toporia is going to want to keep this fight completely standing. I think Toporia is going to be confident in his grappling to the point where he will engage in the grappling. You might even see Toporia hitting his own takedowns. And I just expect a back and forth grappling fight, a dog fight between these two guys. And I think Mitchell is a little more proven under those circumstances. Um, been in the UFC a little longer, I think has beaten better opponents. Uh, that, that round three advantage is big for him. Been in competitive grappling fights, which is big. And, um, you know, if if Ilya can keep this fight completely standing and, and beat up Mitchell on the feet and, you know, throw those nasty body punches like he typically does and uh, beat up Mitchell, I'll be really impressed. And, you know, this is a really, really great matchup. In my opinion, the best fight on the card, 15-0 Bryce Mitchell versus 12-0 Taporia, you know, undefeated versus undefeated prospect to kick off the main card. Stellar fight, great matchmaking from the UFC. And uh, I got Mitchell to grind out a decision here, and I do have a bet on him at plus 120. That's going to take us to the middleweight division in the next fight. Darren Till taking on Drickus Duplessis, DDP as we like to call him. DDP the favorite, minus 180 taking on uh, Darren Till, plus 155. Uh, don't be confused with Diamond Dallas Page, the famous pro wrestler. This is DDP, the Drickus Duplessis era. Um, the South African is, you know, a tremendous fighter, uh, amazing to watch. And his fight against Tavares in his last fight was you know, just fucking incredible to to watch that play out. I mean, he was getting, you know, I wouldn't say beat up, but he was losing round one. He was getting stuck on bottom uh, and he looked gassed like two to three minutes in the fight. He looked like he was huffing and puffing, breathing through his mouth. And somehow this guy just kept trucking along and kept throwing volume and kept coming forward. And he beat up Brad Tavares bad in those later rounds. And it was just an, a miraculous cardio performance from DDP there. Um, but, you know, being objective again, rewatching that fight this week, Drickus, man, I mean, he is winging punches. I mean, his feet are dragging behind him. He's winging punches when he's off balance. I mean, he's doing shit really wrong from a technical perspective, uh, but it's effective. And, you know, some people get caught up on that. I try, I'm trying not to get as caught up on that. Is Sometimes a guy's technique is ugly. It can be real ugly, but it can still work. It can be effective. And our boy in the main event, Patty Pimblett, is a great example of that. You can critique shit all day about Patty Pimblett, but at the end of the day, it's effective. So you got to start giving it some credit. And uh, that's what Plessis is, man. He's ugly, but he's effective. Um, and he's fighting Darren Till off a long layoff here. Till been pretty inactive over the past few years, you know, just one fight a year uh, in the past two or three years. 
and uh, you know suffered that loss to uh, Whitaker. Started strong in that fight, ran out of steam big time in the later rounds. Pretty much got destroyed the entire time versus uh, Derek Brunson and uh, beat up on the mat, submitted there. And he, it seems like he's taken training pretty serious though over the past year. He's taken time off. He's training with Chimaev. He's training all over Europe, and then he did his camp for this fight at Tiger Muay Thai, which is a good camp. They have really good steroid program down in uh, Thailand. So you know Darren Till's got that cycle right, and you know. DDP you know DDP has his cycle right so this is going to be one juicy fight here in the middleweight division but um you know I initially bet Drickus Duplessis in this fight it was minus 126 uh, I thought that price was good and it, it turned out to be true it's you know moved a lot but man re-watching that Duplessis fight it, it, I'm, I'm thinking about the time that that Robert Whitaker blitzed uh Till and Darren hit Till hit him with that short counter elbow and sat him down um Darren Till is a pretty skilled counter striker and he knows how to limit volume in fights he knows how to lull fighters in the low volume type of striking fights and this is gonna be you know reckless aggression and volume from ddp versus conservative counter striking and the technician of darren till and i think honestly ddp might run into a bit of a wall here on some of these counters i think uh you know if till can time some accurate straight lefts and those elbows i think that this could make uh you know a rough night for ddp if they if uh, DDP uh, rushes him with that those flurries. I think Darren could tie him up in the clinch, maybe use some of that Muay Thai advantage in the clinch he has. Um, so, man, I don't know. I'm not feeling too hot about my DDP bet at minus 126. I might just let it ride considering I have such a good price. Um, but as I learned last week with, with uh, Kevin Holland, man, CLV ain't everything because I got 10 cents or 10% of CLV on Kevin Holland and uh, there wasn't any value on it. So um, CLV is not always everything. Uh, I honestly think this is kind of a bad matchup for DDP. I'll still pick him to win the fight at the end of the day, um, but I'm not confident in this one. Uh, on the DDP side, I actually think Till is probably one of the one of the worst matchups in the division for him. I think uh, Whitaker, uh, Whitaker, Pereira, um, Izzy are obviously all bad, but outside of those top three big guys, Till is probably um, the the guy that gives him the most trouble. So amazing fight, going to be entertaining for sure. I'm I'm actually not very confident in this one, um, but I would be leaning Dogger Pass at this situation. Don't think Drickus Juice is worth it at this price. Um, and, um, the props, I'm not seeing anything of value either here. So, um, kind of a tough fight to bet in my opinion. So that's going to move us along from that fight. Uh, that's going to take us to the least interesting fight on the main card by far. It's a 180 pound catchweight fight. Santiago Ponzinibbio taking on Alex Morono was supposed to be Pons versus Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler fell out. Alex Morono jumps in, always staying in shape, uh, down at, uh, Fortis MMA. And Ponzinibbio, minus 180, Morono, plus 155. This line's staying about the same since it's been announced earlier this week. And I'm I'm leaning in Dogger Pass here because um, Ponzinibbio, uh, he's 36 years old. He is, he's definitely past his prime. I think that's very clear. Um, you know, his prime was probably that Magni fight. He took a long layoff. I think he had some knee injuries. He came back. He got knocked out versus Jing Liang. And he's had some wars since then. You know, back and forth striking fights with Baeza, Jeff Neal, Pereira. Had a good showing in all of them. You know, he's still, I think, a 
pretty good fighter. You know, I think he's definitely, definitely the better career historical fighter than Alex Morono. But where they're at in their careers right now, I think Morono's still ascending a little bit, while Ponzinibbio is very stagnant and possibly even on the decline. So. When you're talking about a fighter that's on the decline, that has been having just close decisions, his past three fights, all close decision wars uh, against these other strikers, I just think laying that minus 180 juice is not something I'm interested in. And I cap him a slight favorite in this fight, maybe minus 140 sounds about right. But um, I think the value's on Morono. I mean, Morono is just a, a solid jack of all trades. This guy is good everywhere. Um, he's a really good striker, I would say. And he, he just knows how to put up volume. He knows how to win striking fights by, um, you know, mixing up the targets on all of his opponents. He's a solid boxer as well. Um, not the best defensive wrestler, but I don't think that'll really come into play here with Ponzinibbio. Not really wrestling a ton in his career. He has hit some takedowns. Uh, I just don't think that it's very reliable that Ponzinibbio will be shooting here so um but that is something that Ponzinibbio has in the back of his pocket if this is a close fight close rounds the 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 30 seconds are left in the round Ponzinibbio hitting a takedown could steal him around here but I just expect a, a close striking fight the entire time uh, I honestly think this kind of is going to look like an under tempo type of fight I think they're going to be just standing in the center and likely trading with one another for the majority of the fight in a nice you know medium tempo kickboxing fight so I wouldn't be surprised if either guy finished each other here I think they're just going to be fairly evenly matched and they're going to be trading the entire fight so um, I think it'll be a good fight from an entertainer an entertainer perspective but you know both these guys are just like fringe top 25 i don't think that this fight has a whole lot of uh, of significance so that's why i said it's not the not the greatest fight on the main card so uh, looking at props real quick morono ko plus 750 i mean that's not bad um that's that's really not bad because he lands strikes ponzinibio is there to get hit and uh, he's got hit a lot over his last few fights. I mean, I would I would wager that he got hit over a hundred times. Yeah, over three hundred times in his past uh, three fights. Um, well, just about three hundred. Um, so. Um, but it's also a step down. I mean, the guy has been going to split decision with Jeff Deal and Michelle Pereira. Alex Morono is definitely a step down. So, you know, gun to my head pick here. I'll honestly go with Ponzinibbio by decision. But uh, the value side pick, I think, is Morono. Morono by KO. Um, that's going to take us to the co-main event. Uh, easily the most anticipated fight on the card by uh, by fans. Co-main event pay-per-view debut for patty the baddie pimlet who is the favorite in this fight taking on jared flash gordon patty pimlet minus 257 jared gordon plus 217 what a matchup here from the ufc uh you know just great matchmaking in my opinion um they're building Patty fairly slow, and they're they're giving him a very significant step up in competition here, guys. And that's just one thing we have to establish off the bat is is that Luigi Vendermini, Kozula Vargas, and Jordan Levitt are all significantly worse fighters than Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon is better than those guys in striking and grappling and experience and cardio. He's better in every single facet of MMA as bo- as all three of those guys. So. Let's get that out of the way first. Um, I think that's a pretty irrefutable statement as well. Now we have Patty here, minus 257. That means he is basically the same price as he was against Jordan Levitt. And he's a much bigger favorite than he was against Luigi Vendermini. Um, so Patty's winning these fights. He's finishing these guys. But I don't think... 
I'm not coming away from these fights thinking, man, Patty is so good. Patty's getting better. I mean, Patty has faced a good amount of adversity in all three of those fights. He um, got rocked and almost dropped versus Vendermini. He got did get dropped versus Kazula Vargas. I mean, he started that fight super sloppy, he got dropped, got put on bottom, got stuck on bottom for a few minutes. And then versus Jordan Levin, he got taken down. He got controlled. He got grinded out against the fence for three or four minutes in those fights. And, you know, the casual viewer is going to say he finished all those guys. And he did. And that's going to be the takeaway for the, from the majority of the audience. But when you're you're an analyst of the sport, you're a longtime analyst of the sport, and when you're a better, you got to be looking between the lines and saying, I know he finished all three of those guys, but he actually looked very sloppy and mediocre the entire time in those fights up until he finished those guys. So that's where we're at with this fight. And and Jared Gordon, in my opinion, uh, like I said, toughest test to date for Patty in his entire career. And Jared Gordon is, uh, I, I call him flat out the better striker than Patty Pimblett. He, he's not as powerful. You know, Patty definitely has more power, but overall striking skill I give to Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon's the, the more experienced fighter, um, you know, championship experience outside of the UFC, been in the UFC a lot longer, faced the higher competition. Um, Jared Gordon is, you know, a pretty solid offensive wrestler. He can hit his own takedowns. He can maintain top position. And what he does better than almost any other fighter, uh, you know, in the UFC is land ground and pound. This guy lands a shitload of ground and pound. Just strikes in general. If you look at this guy's strike numbers over his 15-minute decisions, um, Leo Santos, he landed 116 significant strikes, 203 total strikes. He outlanded Grant Dawson in that fight. Despite losing that fight, he still landed 111 strikes, 77 of them significant. Danny Chavez, he landed 82 significant strikes, 138 total strikes. Jared, uh, Chris Fishgold, 241 total strikes in that fight so this guy is he's an output machine he's got reliable proven cardio for the full three rounds which is not something you can say about patty patty hasn't really been late in a fight in a long time i think the latest he's been is round two in the past several years let's see when's the last time um you know, the Soren Bach fight that is when the last time he's been out of round two, and that was when he lost. He, you know, he, he lost the last half of that fight decisively, gassed out in that fight. Um, also lost a decision in Nered Nermani. So it seems like historically when the fight goes later for Patty Pimblett, he tends to fade while Jared Gordon is, you know, a pretty good fighter in the later rounds, much more experienced in the later rounds recently. And Jared Gordon has also faced his fair share of grapplers. If you're saying Patty Pimblett's a dangerous grappler, he takes guys back, he submits them. Has Jared Gordon fought anybody who fits that description? He's fought two guys that are extremely similar to that in Joe Selecki and uh, Grant Dawson. Now, he had success. He struggled in both of those fights. He beat Joe Selecki. He lost to Grant Dawson. Grant Dawson, I think, is, you know, worlds better than Patty Pimblett. And even Joe Selecki, I think, is slightly better than Pimblett. Um, and... You know, he, he got his back taken by, by Selecki, but he reversed them. He he defended and he reversed. He's no stranger to getting his back taken. It took Grant Dawson like five back takes for him to finally submit Jared Gordon. So the idea that Patty is just going to, 
easily run through this guy on the mat, I don't think is, is, is true. I think that I would be very surprised to see Patty submit Jared Gordon in this fight um, because Gordon is just uh, a skilled defensive grappler. I think he, he knows how to stay safe. He knows how to reverse position. And when he gets on top, I think he's keeping top position on Patty Pimblett, who has historically not been good at getting off his back. And Jared Gordon, he, he keeps top position. He throws ground and pound. He makes that top position count. And I could see Patty, um, you know, getting off to a good start here, maybe getting a takedown or a back take. But I think if he doesn't get that submission in round one, and if he gets out of, I think if it goes past seven and a half minutes, that's the real mark where I think Gordon completely takes over. Seven and a half minutes is Patty's window. If he doesn't finish Gordon in that those first, you know, first half of the fight, I think he's kind of stuck in the mud, honestly. I think Gordon will take him take over and drown him late in this fight. Um, so I think these odds are off. I think Patty minus 170 is about right. You know, give him a little more than 50%. Um, because uh, to be honest, saying one super critical thing about Jared Gordon is that when he does get taken down, he does kind of give up dominant positions rather easily. I was noticing that in the Dawson fight is when he gets taken down, he gets mounted, he gets his back taken, he gets put in bad spots pretty quickly. He needs to do a better job at, uh, at you know, conserving that that position he needs to, once he gets taken down he needs to say okay this is bad but let's not get, make it worse by giving up my back giving up that mount um that's a little something i'm concerned about here man i i, I definitely am but i just got to go with the more experienced the better cardio fighter the better striker i know patty um is probably stronger more athletic more powerful he's got the ufc pr machine behind them but um, man, Jared Gordon's been around the block for a long time. He's paid his dues. He's a really, really good fighter, and uh, I'm I'm just so excited for this fight because if Patty Pimblett wins this fight, um, it, it will be his first extremely legit win in his entire career. I mean, the guy shows promise. He's a, he's a natural, gifted finisher. He's aggressive. He's charismatic. He's funny. I like Patty Pimblett. You know, I want him to succeed. But here's the thing: is he can succeed even even if he loses this fight. He's gonna be around for years and years to come. And I think he's gonna, I think it would be good for him to lose a fight, honestly, and to, uh, you know, get that chip off his shoulder and, uh, you know, get him back to work. But honestly, Jared Gordon, I love his chances in this fight. Um, fuck it, man. I'll pick Jared Flash Gordon to win the fight, you know. I will be betting on him at this plus 200 price. It's not like picks matter a whole lot, but man, I really think he's he's completely suited to, for this fight. Also about Jared Gordon is he's been training with the Dagestan guys. Uh, if you if you watch the the, the vlogs um, from Islam's fight, it's Islam and Zubaira and Khabib and Jared fucking Gordon. I mean, he had the whole Dagestan crew and Jared Gordon. So he, he he's been training for, for grapplers. He's been trying to get a good experience with grapplers. And I think he's going to be coming in ready, ready as hell for this fight. And I hope he fucking pulls it off because this is, uh, the, uh, the, um, you know, the mark, the marketing, the fans, the public is behind Patty Pimblett and the real, the real true fans who have been grinding away, watching the UFC for the past few years, watching Jared Gordon rack up wins. Uh, I mean, this is fucking amazing matchmaking. I cannot wait for this fight. And, um, uh, I think Jared Gordon's pulling off the upset. I'm, I'm going to be going at least one and a half units on Flash Gordon here. So um, coming to the main event, honestly, a little bit of an anticlimactic main event. I'm pretty sure the, the arena is going to be facing a little adrenaline dump after Patty the Batty as well because... 
Um, we're getting this this fight for the vacant light heavyweight championship. It was supposed to be the rematch of literally one of the greatest fights in MMA history, Jiri versus Glover 1. Um, but instead, we're getting Jan Blachowicz versus Magomed Ankalaev, former champion Jan Blachowicz taking on uh, the dark horse Magomed Ankalaev, who's been putting in work over the years, racking up wins. Um, the line for this one, Magomed Ankalaev minus 275, Jan Blachowicz plus 235. At one point in time, I really liked Magomed Ankalaev, but over the past several fights, man, my appreciation for this guy has absolutely flown out the window. I just... I don't know, man. I think that some of his recent fights have been really underwhelming, especially the Thiago Santos fight. I mean, it's his first main event, and that was just a complete dud of a fight. The Volkan Ozdemir fight, the Krilov fights, neither of them were too memorable as well. I just think like he's he's been putting in duds lately, and he is lucky as shit that this fight uh, fell through because I feel like the UFC would have never given this guy a title shot. I mean, he's unknown. He doesn't talk shit. Um, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't speak English. Uh, I mean, he, he hasn't been looking that good lately. I just think that he would have been sitting on the shelf forever, but he's getting a gift from God and getting this title shot. And I'm lucky. I'm lucky because I bet Magomed Ankalaev to be UFC light heavyweight champion at 10 to 1 odds last December, about 12 months ago, exactly almost. I made the bet and it was not the worst bet, but it was dead in the water. I consider that bunny lost a long time ago. And now all of a sudden, I basically have plus 1000 on a guy who is minus 275 to win here. So I'm in good shape. Um, but I'll honestly probably just take some Blahovich money line to to get in a guaranteed profit situation because I mean I love Jan Blahovich. I definitely am cheering for him to win this fight. This guy's the perennial fucking underdog, man. Every time this guy's an underdog, he wins. And I'm pretty sure like the only time in his past like six or seven fights he's been the favorite, he lost, right? Oh no, he was the favorite over um he was the favorite over Jacques Ray, but he was the dog to Rockhold, Anderson, Reyes, Izzy, Rakic. Um just a he he wins as a dog nonstop. He was a dog to Krilov. So I think his his last eight or nine wins might all be underdog wins. Maybe even more. I'm I'm going back even further and I just keep seeing him seeing him as underdog wins. I believe it's I'm at ten in a row now. Okay, finally, yeah. He has ten wins in a row in the UFC and he's been in the underdog in every single one. Oh, except for Jacques Ray, excuse me. Um anyway, the guy is an amazing underdog. Um and the market's always underrating this guy. So in terms of the matchup, um Blahovich, his takedown defense remains pretty bad. And once he gets taken down, he gives up dominant positions. He does not go to do a good job getting back up to his feet. We saw uh, Rakic have his best success in the fight when he took Blahovich down. He kept him down for like three or four minutes. So Ankalaev, you got to think, has a pretty clear path to victory with the wrestling. But I don't think Ankalaev uh, has hit more than one or two takedowns in all of his fights, right? Oh, there was also some stat where... Every time that Blahovich has been taken down more than one time in the UFC, he's lost. Like he's like 0-4 or something like that when he gets taken down. Uh, yeah, that, that's the stat. He's 0-4 when taken down more than one time. So that basically means if you can hit two takedowns on Blahovich, historically you're winning the fight. But in Magomed Ankalaev's 10 or 11 fights in the UFC, he's only hit more than one takedown one time, and that was against Nikita Krylov. So it's not like Ankalaev is a proven, dedicated wrestler who's going to be hitting takedowns left and right here. Um, 
And Ankalaev probably honestly has the advantage on the feet as well. It's definitely a smaller advantage. He's definitely given Blahovich his best chance to win on the feet. So I'm interested to see Ankalaev's approach here. Is he going to be just stalling and doing bare minimum on the feet and, you know, picking Blahovich apart and making it a boring decision? Um, or is he going to wrestle urgently here and try to use that grappling advantage here? Um, I think we will see more than one takedown from Ankalaev here. Um, and um, Blahovich, man, I, I hope he can make something happen. I think he's probably a little bit better in the pocket. We did see Ankalaev get uh, dropped and hurt versus Santos. Um, and Santos, you know, is getting old. He's getting pretty old. Uh, he, in his his recent fights, he's looked, you know, significantly old. And he was still able to drop Ankalaev. So there's a, there's a hope for Blahovich. But, man, I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of faith or, you know, confident analysis here. I think that uh, Blahovich plus 250 is not bad. Uh, but um also one takedown he could be plus 600 here so I i'm staying away from the fight i have my futures you know i'm going to be taking that for some guaranteed profit on either side but uh looking at looking at the fight props here i would be looking to play the fight uh to go along and that's the overs F starts round four minus 112 starts round five plus money uh maybe that goes the distance as well just because Ankalaev tends to cruise in there man i mean he completely cruised versus Ankala or versus Santos. He got hit with one punch and dropped, and every ounce of aggression flew out of his body in that fight. Um, and even the, the the Smith fight. I mean, Smith was hurt. His leg was hurt, and it still looked like that fight could find a way to, to, for it to make it the distance. So I would be looking to fade to finish here, looking for the fight to, to go long, starts 4-5 in decision, but um, not a whole lot of confidence uh, in that one. And uh, that'll do it, you know, that'll do it top to bottom. Um, decent pay-per-view, you know, I I'm intrigued in some of the fights. I think it's a, a fun main card. It's just not the typical, you know, well-known names that you'll see on a main card. But Patty making his debut, the undefeated featherweights kicking off the card, even DDP versus Till is fun. And, um, you know, Blahovich and Ankalaev isn't the worst fight either. It's nice to see those guys get the spotlight in the main event. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a decent pay-per-view. Um, I guess we won't do a best bet parlay of the week this week because Ozzy is not here. Uh, maybe we'll send a tweet out or something like that. Uh, but just uh, a summary of all my thoughts um, um, in terms of my bets. I mean, I have a Salvador minus 190. I'll be on Brown uh, for one unit. I like the late round props in the Quarantillo fight. Um, I like the goes the distance and the Buckley decision in their fight. Uh, I like Jared Gordon money line. And I like Bryce Mitchell Moneyline as well. So that's a synopsis of my thoughts from a betting perspective. And uh, thank you all for listening this week. No Aussie this week. Hopefully we can get them back before the last UFC card of the year uh, next week. Um, and uh, thank you all for listening. Hope you all enjoyed the pay-per-view this weekend. Win some bets. And make sure you join Spaces to talk about live bets and to uh, discuss the fights as they happen with me. So uh, peace out, everyone. Hope you all enjoy the fights.